Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Does it tame and tame and tame again? Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! A symbolic save shy goalkeeper, diminutive defenders, late spring glove wearers, tormented World Cup winners, forlorn figures, rabbits in the headlights, divers, spitters, showboaters, slow coaches, acquired tastes, and one man simply guilty of being too good looking for this league. Our league, the hardest league in the world. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and the welcome to the Premier League 11. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 183 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and my selection panel are as follows. Charlie Eccleshow joins me first of all, how are you doing? Very well, how are you? Not too bad. Alongside you will be James Moore. How's it going? Yeah, very well, Adam. Thank you. Um, Before we get stuck into our headline project, um, some breaking news hot off the Richard Keyes press. Um, (laughs) Just going to read this verbatim, Charlie. Uh, I was instrumental in getting Graham soon as the Newcastle job, and if you asked him who started his TV career, he'd say Richard Keyes. Without hesitation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I did read this before. And Mm. uh, yeah, I mean, he just keeps on delivering. Mm. It was amazing because he he didn't, he just, he didn't expand on or explain the Newcastle point. (laughs) Just went straight. It was like he was too keen to get onto the TV point. He he often does that. So drops it in and lets you do the working out, which I think adds to the mystique of the things that he's claimed to have done. So I think he's quite clever on his part. Um, he's kind of the Forrest Gump of light entertainment, isn't he? Now he seems to have just been like involved in every everyone's TV career. <laughs> Keys continues, James. And he said, "Soonest was the first man I sat and drank with after my open heart surgery." <laughs> wow! I can't work out if that's a boast or not. <laughs> <laughs> and on similar lines, on similar lines, uh, an old classic here. Is he a sexist? No, his daughter used to work in our business. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> might be the most tenuous <laughs> i mean that is the how can i hate women my mum's one finchy sort of defense it's, it's i think it's even more baffling. tenuous than that yeah maybe madness uh, anyway you you are both here on a monumental week for the premier league both as a organization and a concept i think it's it celebrated its 30th birthday in the only way it knows how charlie by having several ex-pros talk about how difficult it is to play in it. Um, there is no finer way to celebrate the Premier League than to, to kind of puff up its demanding environment, really, is there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's exceptionalism has been one of the things that has always separated the Premier League, its own 
sense of self-worth. And it's been, it has been well-timed because we have seen a few players who supposedly just uh, aren't cut out for it. And they yeah. have to adapt. And that pretty much is the soul of the 11 that we're trying to pick today, James. They're kind of the stooges, the fall guys in this enduring Premier League narrative of it being the hardest league in the world and the toughest place to go and the tempo and the intensity. So what we're aiming to do is decide who the most notable players were that didn't fancy it, whose feathers were most famously ruffled, who was urged to cut out that sort of stuff if they were to succeed (laughs) on these shores, who had to quickly realise that we just don't do this sort of thing in the Premier League of ours, who needed their captain to have a quiet word with them at training. Uh, Are you clear enough about what we're trying to do here? Yeah, I think so. It's coming up with 11 things that Graham Souness hates and and finding a player for each one, right? Mm, arguably, arguably. But I, a lot of people are probably starting to listen to this episode and think, well, this is very, quite one-dimensional, isn't it? This is going to be a bit proper football manny, And it is to an extent, but the supposed demands of the Premier League are much more multi-dimensional than I perhaps thought before. But to try and get us into the spirit of this, I've created perhaps one of the greatest football cliches montages of all. Here, quite simply, is everybody's Welcome to the Premier League. <laughs> Welcome to the Premier League. It's all a little bit quicker. Welcome to the Premier League. Welcome to the Premier League. Well, what an introduction to Premier League football. He's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. He's unaware of the demands of our game. They just don't have the, the excitement of the Premier League. We were fast becoming like other leagues, where the refs were blowing the whistle all the time, the game didn't flow. It's the intensity of the French League is nothing like our league. The pressures of the Premier League when you've never played it and played in France for quite a long time, no disrespect. He has no experience of English football, he's come from Japan. He cannot play there in the Premier League. It'd be very difficult in this league, I think, to actually succeed. Yeah, you the Premier League, league don't yeah, care, that's what we're saying, league. the Premier League. This is the Premier League and uh, everyone needs to respect uh, uh, this challenge. The quality of what the Premier League possesses, really. The quality that's required in this league. Our league will be be better for it. I think it's great for our league. Our game has always been unique. It's always been more meaty, more in your face, more intense. Well, if you're talking about the Premier League, particularly the intensity of this Premier League. One of the problems is is the pace of the game. How hard is that? What he has to do today, coming to this league for the very first hard. time, different pace. Yeah, very hard. Yeah. Very hard. Across the Premier League. He's going to be a marked man. The Santa Hearts and probably will be there to him. How well do you feel you're adapting to life in the Premier League? For me, it's clear that he needs to adapt to this kind of, of football, to this kind of league. And the people say he's not going to adapt and, uh, in the Premier League. It's going to be a massive challenge for him to deal with the intensity, the amount of games, the, the, the speed of the football compared to what he's been used to. In the Prem, one mistake you've done. The Prem. Um, <laughs> Meaty. Yeah. The entire ego of the Premier League summed up in just under two minutes there. So hopefully we are now well-placed, well-poised and well-tuned to select our 11 for the welcome to the Premier League lineup. Um, let's start in goal, of course. Charlie, I think we might all be on the same page with this one because I think there's one goalkeeper that perhaps sums up the supposed adaptation period that all players need to undergo. Well, there's one who I have who I think also coincided with getting rid of a very Premier League player and so it was it, this was such a perfect storm so I'm talking here about Claudio Bravo mm. who mm. was brought in by Pep Guardiola because Joe Hart England's brave and sort of up and atom Joe Hart the king of banter wasn't deemed good enough with his feet yeah you know and uh, Guardiola came in and so he brought in his man Claudio Bravo and Bravo 
did have a sort of torrid time. I mean, remember he played against United in a game City did win. I think they won 2-1 in September 2016 and it was open season on him. Mm. You know, this guy, welcome to the Premier League, fella. You know, this isn't like the league. You're not in, we're not in Kansas anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, you're going to get pressured. You're going to get fouled. You're going to get kicked. Didn't Rooney, didn't, no, he then two-footed Rooney or something. He slid in on Rooney because he was so rattled. Um yeah, so he, to me, feels very welcome to the Premier League. OK, interesting. That's one I hadn't thought of, so this is a very good contender. James, what do you think? Claudio Bravo was the name I had written down, and why I think he's so good is because not only was it welcome to the Premier League for him, but it was also welcome to the Premier League for Pep Guardiola. Ah. A month into his time at Man City, the idea that this man had the audacity to come to our league and try and play out from the back. It's outrageous. And get rid of Joe Hart. Yeah, and get rid of our beloved Joe Hart, who you know cl- clearly is a, a, a far superior footballing mind. So Bravo um, was a kind of symbolic um, I think in, kind of I think in that third well. season, yeah. It was definitely, he represented the transition from old Premier League to modern sort of, the, the way we see the game being played by the big clubs now. Mm. And I think that one match that Charlie just mentioned, that Manchester United match, which was Bravo's debut, what kind of really crystallised that transition. Both compelling cases, actually. Um, Bravo but- also, just one more thing in his favour, he went on a save drought. And I think he's the only <laughs> goalkeeper to go on a save drought. Do you remember the, the famous Claudio Bravo save drought of 2016-17? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't have a goalkeeper who doesn't save shots in English football. I mean, that's what they're there for. Yeah, this, this all stacks up very well. I'm surprised neither of you had the same name as me, which was David De Gea, who who may lack the immediate kind of symbolism of Claudio Bravo, but I think he also but he does what he does have is the narrative arc of a player who's not conquered English football, but sort of edged themselves into it. If you if you remember his early days, he was getting battered around by set piece specialists. There is one headline here from about eighteen months or so into his Manchester United career. It says Manchester United's David De Gea says he's a glutton for punishment after beefing up. The subhead reads, much clattered keeper has gained muscle by lifting weights and stuffing his face. Much clattered keeper. <laughs> I do remember with him, I mean, that this you're right, Adam, this was a thing that went on and on and on. And I remember there was a game in, I think it was January 2013. And James, you were probably there when Spurs scored a last minute equaliser, I think through Clint Dempsey. And it was yeah, a De Gea era. In the snow, yeah. In the snow. And De Gea did a big... Which like, he probably like I'm like it. The sentiment was, I'm done with this guy. You know, we've had to. We keep being told that he's really good, but he's just too small. He's too spindly, and he's not. He's not fit for our league. And and that was the crux of the De Gea weakness, James. That he was too. He was too skinny. He wasn't. He wasn't up to the physical challenge. And yeah. um, as with, as with most players like this, he was sort of sent away to kind of beef up and bulk up for the <laughs> Premier League, flattered. which which you know. Is not an issue here. It's clearly advantageous to be a physical presence in the Premier League to do so. Um, but the best thing about De Gea beefing up was that not a single media organisation could find two sufficiently clear-cut before and after images to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've scoured the internet for all these articles of saying De Gea beefed up. There are, there's just there's one picture of him looking a bit, and then there's just one player. There's one picture of him just happens to be flexing his muscle. It's, that's that's how it is. The match of the day got hold of this though this story back in 2013, the idea that De Gea had beefed up in order to tackle the physicality of English football. And all they did was just zoom in on him a bit more in the second picture. It's absolutely <laughs> astonishing. Massive. What's quite interesting about that is that although he was and is quite sort of rakish, he's not, he is at least tall. Mm. And, I, you know, I would say 
the main criticism of goalkeepers coming to our league is they're too small, like too short. And off the top of my head, I can't think of an example now, but I feel, you know, Pepe Reina, maybe, for example, like a very, like a short man for a goalkeeper. And I remember that being like an off-sighted criticism of him that he simply just wasn't tall enough to be able to come out and, you know, claim set pieces against like Sam Allardyce's Bolton or whatever. But De Gea was at least like 6'4 or whatever he is. He's got that in his locker at least. Well, that's, that's, that's a fair point. And that's what's starting to turn the tide for this for me. But that leads me to uh, an interesting trivia question. Charlie... You can go first with this. What height do you think the smallest ever Premier League goalkeeper was? That's a really good question. There's a fair chance you'll never have heard of him. 5'8". Well, that's annoying because you've, you've undercut the actual answer. James? 5'9". Uh, 5'9 is correct, yes. 5'9", um, Clive Baker of Ipswich, 1992 Bates. to 1994. 48 games in the Premier League. Well, people um, were shorter back then. <laughs> yeah, it's just that's just basic evolution. I mean, I think as well, just with De Gea as well, I think the fact that he had that sort of quite wispy stubble... Mm. Mm. Didn't, help, didn't help his cause, and also it wasn't. Isn't there a big thing as well about ages? Like you often, you know, pre, you know, goalkeepers they don't peak until they're thirty, of course. Mm. And De Gea came when he was really young, and I think that added to the sort of distrust around him, not just his sort of um, slight build. He's thirty-one now. Do you think he's peaked yet? I suspect he has. It's weird. I never. No one ever mentioned his age. That's but that's the first time anyone has ever mentioned. But they did when he joined age. because he was really young, and, it, and I, I mean, think it was. Yeah, I think there was years. Sorry. Yeah, I think there was a sense that he hadn't really paid his dues. You know, who, who's this guy? You, you need to uh, sort of earn your stripes before mm. you just get that sort of move to a big Premier League club as a keeper. Do you know, weighing these two stories up, I think the clincher here is that De Gea, for all his early faults and his continuing sort of weaknesses, he still has a, he still has a reputation for being an incredibly good shot stopper and has carried Manchester United at certain certain points. So that kind of undermines his welcome to the Premier League-ness. Whereas Claudio Bravo's um, story arc was perhaps shorter, but <laughs> perhaps rather more fitting. So let's go with Claudio Bravo, just for that pep factor as well. So he's our goalkeeper. Now in defence, it seems that we're, we're struggling for fullbacks. Why, James, would you say that fullbacks don't lend themselves to the welcome to the Premier League narrative as much as their centre-half colleagues? Yeah, I mean, I guess fullbacks are something, uh, they sit somewhere between like rugged central defenders and the kind of creative players mm. that you expect to see farther up the pitch. So because they kind of straddle the two or sit somewhere between the two, kind of escape it you kind of don't mm. really criticize them for being too far off either end of the spectrum i guess yeah. maybe yeah i think you there's might not be such, right there's not such an obvious flaw mm. yeah okay um, but what fullbacks do we have then well the, the first name that came to mind for me was pascal chimbonda who infamously wore gloves i would say from late august through to mid-april maybe mm. and i remember that being quite a big uh, mm. bone of contention particularly in that first season with wigan he also then had the temerity to hand in a transfer request. Was it on the pitch at on, Highbury at the last it was, game? It was, it, was, it was in the dressing room, I think, before the okay. final game. The That's season. not exaggerated. But, but he, yeah, I, th- those two things combined, I remember making him quite like a big sort of hate figure early on. But he, to me, was a kind of outlier of glove wearers, Charlie, because he was kind of unapologetic. He wasn't wearing gloves because he was a bit fragile. He was just, he was just more comfortable. And, but he was fairly all action, right? He wasn't a shrinking violet, was he, Charlie? He was, he was fairly up for it. Yeah, stylistically, he suited our league quite well. I mean, he was sort <laughs> of, you know, he was, he was diving into tackles and this sort of thing. Um, mm. But I, I know what James means. I'm sure it was a th- I'm sure it would have been said by plenty of proper football men, how can you have a fullback wearing gloves? Mm. That was definitely a preoccupation in that first season. Maybe the maybe the first season at Spurs as well. In particular, it was all anyone would ever say about him that he wore gloves. It was just it was just his thing. I've got a couple. One is Khalid Boularouz, who this is slightly <laughs> left field one. 
But if you remember, he joined Chelsea in 2006 off the back of that game against Portugal, Holland-Portugal in the World Cup, and everyone got sent off and it was horribly violent and all of this. And I think there was a sense like, is, is this guy just like a bit of a nut? Is he, you know, can, mm. can he... you know, Nicknamed the cannibal. Exactly. Is he going to be too frenzied for our league? And wow. so it proved in the end because he got sent off uh, late on in that season against Arsenal. And I think he only lasted that season. And on a similar vein of being a bit too... Although this guy actually did do well, but a bit too sort of pugnacious was uh, Tariko, the Spurs fullback. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who was kind of like, you've got to stop slapping Graham Lasseau every time that you play Chelsea. <laughs> like, that's just not, that's not okay. Yeah, but he became get... too much of a cult figure, didn't he? Maybe, He was yeah. truly welcomed into the Premier League. Fans quite liked him for that. Crucially, Tariko played in a football league before the Premier League. So mm. that, did that uh, yeah. grounding, grounding maybe preclude him from, from yeah. this Maybe. Team? I would say Let's so. go back... To Boularouz as well. He did wear number nine at centre-back, didn't he? Mm. Did. Which I'm sure proper football men would not approve of. Did a number on Ronaldinho, though, for Chelsea, though, so famously. So uh, that that helps his case. I I think we may have to go for a three-man defensive line here. Just because I feel like welcome to the Premier League-ness lends itself to the early rumblings of a centre-half in the Premier League. Um, the obvious candidate here, the most topical one of all, perhaps even the uh, inspiration for this lineup alone, is Lissandro Martinez, who we've discussed a lot on this podcast seemingly already, Charlie, but I don't remember Chris Perry getting the sort of brief <laughs> when he was getting tipped for an England cap in the late 1990s, the former five-foot-nine-inch Wimbledon ace. Yeah, it's a good point. Or can... Cannavaro, not that he ever played the Premier League, but you know, you, you can be short, famously, and be a good centre back. I think Martinez had, I mean, he's sort of the poster boy for this team, isn't he? I mean, it, the fact that we were even preempting it before he joined uh, shows how much everyone saw this culture war coming. I feel bad for the butcher of Amsterdam, James, um, that he's being already presented as this kind of weakling in the Premier League. Is it premature, do you think? It, some people seem to think that we're, you know, we're, we're calling this too early for him. Well, no, normally I would say yes. But given he's what, like a sort of twenty-four-year-old bloke, he's not going to get any taller, is he? <laughs> like, there's not really a resolution to that. I mean, you know, you can, if you're if you're too slow, you can do a bit of fitness work and maybe get a bit quicker. If you're David De Gea getting you know bundled at set pieces, you can mm. work you in the bulk gym. Upwards. Maybe is yeah, that what you're exactly. saying? There's no way he can. He's ever going to be able to remedy it. That's true. <laughs> he's knackered, isn't he? Well, bre- breaking an Adam Ban, like Bart tries to do it in The Simpsons when he's mm. trying to get the radioactive man role. Indeed. So I I do wonder if Lissandro will do that. I mean, what will save him is if they change the system. I would have thought. But also, Adam, it is too early. But that's that's the point. I think that you know the, the joy is of writing the you know these players not being ready for our league is how quickly they, they are written off oh it can be it can absolutely be a one game thing I'm, I'm not worried about that yeah. um, I'm thinking of other other kind of supposedly fancy Dan centre-halves who came to the Premier League and got immediately bullied out of it Frank LeBeuf I think there was there was a game against Wimbledon at uh, for Chelsea, where Wimbledon won four two at Stamford Bridge, and he, uh, he ended up with a golf ball sized oh, yeah, lump on his forehead, yeah, thanks yeah. to Robbie Earle being a little bit braver in a fifty fifty challenge to score. And, and he, but he was sort of he was quite famed for his kind of passing and stuff. He wasn't sort of a rugged defender, James. So I think he could be a candidate here. I guess with someone like that, you just see his success so much that this kind of seems so that seems so much at the fore, the forefront of your mind that it's hard to escape that. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, can can I throw? A left field option at you. And you mentioned it could be based on one game, but what about a guy who didn't play any games in the Premier League? In fact, didn't appear for the club that he joined at all. I give you the name of Florian Morange, who, yep, you're right to have that facial expression. He joined Crystal Palace in 2013, but because they signed 14 players that summer, they didn't register him in the squad. Oh, him. So they released him by like October. (laughs) 
Uh, and Ian Holloway suggested the reason was that he was too slow for the Premier League. Oh, interesting. I was thinking about trying to think of some players who had been labelled as too slow for the Premier League. So I'm glad you mentioned him. And and it is quite a pathetic story, isn't it? But having not played in the Premier League to demonstrate it, I feel like we have to count him out. But it is a nice suggestion. Can I read you a pathetic quote, though? Yeah. This is from Florian Morand, whose name I imagine I've completely butchered. I've never been presented to the press. I have never had an official photo. And I'm still waiting for my club suit. I stayed for 15 days in a hotel before finding somewhere to live, and the club told me I had to pick up the bill. Oh, this guy's just been completely tired. Terrible. He was yeah. barely there, was he? That is pathetic. An- another option on the sort of Martinez forebear is Daily Blind, who mm. again was a sort of like, oh, isn't he cultured with his left foot and his short stature and he comes from Ajax, but, you know, <laughs> welcome to our league, fella. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this guy might be a slam dunk for us um, just because there is one abiding image of him that, that, that absolutely screams welcome to the Premier League. And this is from uh, listener Mark Small, who says, Roque Jr. went from Oof. winning the World Cup in 2002 and signed for mm. Leeds on loan in 2003, entered Duncan Ferguson on a summer <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> and a picture of his shirt torn off his shoulder. We have to have Roque Jr. Yeah. here. That no picture in Premier League history, James, screams welcome to the Premier League yep. more than that. Yeah, that is entirely spot on. And and you're right, he was he looked like an incredible coup for Leeds, but was utterly dreadful. And that was the season they got relegated, wasn't it, I think? 2003, 2004? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That just adds to the to the calamity of it. Mm. He was what part of their lone army. Yeah, he. I mean, he was awful. <laughs> I think it was more he was just really bad. Yeah, than... that's true. But yeah, that look of terror, I think, alone justifies it. Uh, Charlie, I've got a quote for you. I just want you to guess who the Premier League debutant was. I suffered. My ego got smashed. I really suffered, honestly. Playing against opponent X, opponent Y, big guys, the flick, the fighting spirit... Playing against Team Z, Team Other Letter, the long ball, I was unable to intimidate them. In Other Country X and Other Country Y, I was a strong guy. I would look the strikers in the eye and show there's nothing for you today. And the player would look down and accept that I had won. But in England, no. The guy's ready for a fight. The striker will tackle you. I was depressed for four months. Oh, wow. (laughs) I don't know. Should I know? Maybe. Is there sort of a red flag in that? Winston Bogard? Not a hundred million miles away. James, would you care to hazard a guess? Uh, because you've said that, I'm going to guess it's someone at Chelsea. So I'll, I'll say Marcel Desai. Just Marcel really Desai is correct. Wow. Just, show, just to show that it isn't all about sort of gambly signings from abroad that we think might be able to style it out in the Premier League. This is about a proven winner, a World Cup winner, and not yeah. in a Roque Junior context either. And not someone you'd expect to be kind of overawed by the physical mm. challenge either. Mm. It's like a big bloke. Got absolutely smashed by Dion Dublin. On his debut. I'm tempted to put Desai in. That's good. Alongside Rocco Jr. And, and we have to have Lissandro Martinez just, just, for the, just for the ongoing narrative. Yeah, that is a big surprise. I really wouldn't have... Um... He went on to have sort of other difficulties. I mean, sort of the Sunderland game away where Quinn gave him a doing over Charlie. So I feel like this he had a kind mm. of enduring track record of just not quite getting to grips with the Premier League. Our league. It's not for everybody. There are no six foot seven centre forwards in Serie A, are there? Nope. Right, three man backline sorted. Surprise goalkeeper in place too. Let's move into midfield. Will Hardy, Charlie, comes in straight away with Jose Antonio Reyes versus the brothers Neville. Very much a welcome to English football story this wasn't it I mean the fact that they started sort of taking it in turns to batter him yeah I mean th- this was as well this is that game I mean he'd, he'd actually been in the Premier League for a little while 
come up to eight months. But that that game is cited as did Reyes ever fully recover from that? He took such a battering that day, and it was and and Phil Neville used to be used in this kind of hatchet man role for Fergie against Arsenal. I think that that is um that is a good shout. It's the the sheer glee though, James, that the Neville brothers clearly took in doing it. I think it's the clincher here. Yeah, and the fact it was obviously like a premeditated tactic. So I, I, I mean, Charlie's right; it was a good few months into his time in England, but it's clearly something they'd kind of identified as being a weakness in his game in previous matches that they could uh, get in his face. But if we're looking for a more well-rounded option from that particular team, from that particular era, Charlie, what about Robert Perez? Because we had the diving, mm. we had that penalty, which mm. was so egregious, the one he took with Thierry Henry, <laughs> that he had Danny Mills right up in his face, mm-hmm. essentially saying, you can't do that. Yeah. Slash in English football. And then, listener Wenger Brawl, writes in and says Wenger benched him in his first match versus Sunderland so he could see how physical the league was. I mean, that is... I was going to say, that that, that is, is always cited. Welcome, welcome the, to the Premier uh, League, but from a distance. Yeah, that it was like, you won't be ready for this. And famously, Perez watched it, did that thing that I was talking about before of going like... <laughs> with his mouth, as if to say, what have I signed up for? And uh, I guess, though, the fact that it worked... I don't know, the fact that it worked out for him and he learned and he grew to embrace the Premier League and, you know... Less than two years after that debut, he had Andy Gray applauding him yes. um, on air. So I don't know. I don't know if Reyes, the fact that Reyes didn't really fully recover in English football, maybe sort of swings it his way. Yeah, I, I think that, that penalty you talk about against Manchester City, I mean, I had completely forgotten about that. But yeah, you're right. Danny Mills' reaction says it all. Mm. The fact that the guy who had actually benefited from this terrible penalty miss <laughs> was so annoyed that he had to have a guy at him on the pitch. So affronted. I mean, that, that says it all, doesn't it? Also, Adam, they, they, uh, I watched recently on Neville, Gary Neville's Soccer Box, which is I really enjoy. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's a, a great programme. Uh, but he had Perez on. And you could tell that even though, you know, bygones be bygones, Neville still had that little scrappy instinct and he did still enjoy. But Perez didn't care, but he kept saying things like, you know, you, you were a bit soft though, weren't you, Perez? He was like, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so I think it still feels a bit, I think it's a bit of a sore point for the Premier League that he did sort of conquer it despite mm. wearing gloves and taking silly penalties and all of that. Having long hair, long hair. Having long hair, a silly beard. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We've, we've talked about a few players, James, so far who weren't fancied in the Premier League and then conquered it to an extent. Players who weren't fancied in the Premier League and absolutely didn't conquer it and, and sort of drifted off straight away. But PCB enthusiast offers up this little curiosity there's a strong case for James Rodriguez he says so much talk about when he signed about how he couldn't handle the physical demands and pressing of the Premier League started brilliantly then it got cold and he didn't fancy it anymore so quite the roller coaster there but is it a strong enough case I don't know I don't really remember people suggesting that he couldn't hack the Premier League I think it was no, more, they, they thought it was a busted flash by that point didn't they I thought it was more that they thought his his career had already peaked mm. and he was on the, he was on the way and that's why he was joining Everton I don't. So, so, to my memory, anyway, it may only have been Keezy, but I do remember. I, 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 I've got Rodriguez on my list because I do remember it being quite a funny journey of people saying stuff like that, or at least Keezy or people like that, and me, th- me thinking, "God, this is such a dated view." Like as if it really works like that. And then to be fair, kind of did work out exactly as those people were saying, which, Shame, which was quite funny. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's keep him in our minds. Um, Robinho being another one of that ilk that yes. you know was good until yeah. it got cold. People loved him not being good. I felt people were re- really had it in for Robinho, who I thought was such an entertaining player. This is a crucial part of it, Charlie. The, the glee, collective glee, when mm. people can't make it in our league. Um, and I think he gave a lot of people a lot of happiness when he 
sort of. Well, Emerson, Emerson at Middlesbrough was maybe the prototype for that mm. because he also kind of seemingly went off the boil a bit when it got a bit cold. Didn't he disappear for a little yeah, bit mid-season yeah. and then kind of come back when they were in cup finals and stuff? I, I, so he kind of felt like the prototype for that sort of moral panic of foreign player who might not like the possibility of it snowing a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> he we laid talked the about the weather yet. I mean, yeah. And maybe Middlesbrough simply existed in the mid-90s just to test out the, or bring into the sort of collective <laughs> consciousness the weather aspect of Welcome to the Premier League. Um, quick story for you first before I launch into two very solid-looking names. Ralph Hanna writes in and says, Diego Gavilan, the former Newcastle and Paraguay midfielder, once told me that when Yap Stam took him and the ball out as he got his first run at the defender, he looked over to him and said, Welcome to the Premier League. So someone actually has said it, <laughs> which I think is superb. Uh, I, I don't know why anyone would make that story up, so I'm inclined to believe that it definitely happened um so yeah i mean that almost alone uh lends him good candidacy for this team but charlie name number one gavin bergen writes in is that angel di maria who was according to one unnamed former united teammate talented but a complete fanny (laughs) (laughs) the slight difference with him this was just my sense. People wanted him to succeed a little more than they did someone like Rubinho. Because Rubinho, I think there was a flashiness element to someone like Rubinho, which I'm not sure Di Maria had. Like Di Maria, people might have enjoyed the fact that he was too scrawny for the Premier League, but he never seemed especially arrogant or anything like that, which I think is part of the welcome to the Premier League. That, you know, someone like Rubinho, oh, you think you're so good. You think you can just come in and dominate our league. So for me personally, I, I don't, I didn't feel that with Di Maria in quite the same way. Okay, we'll keep him on ice for the moment there. James, how about this one from Ben Davis? Juan Sebastian Veron for committing the heinous crime of standing and admiring his own pass, splitting <laughs> off up the pitch immediately after making it. Um, so there is this kind of, there was, there is this kind of heavy implication that Veron just couldn't hack English football, which came to its most famous head. Of course, with the yeah. with that famous quote from Alex Ferguson. Now, the Telegraph, Sam Wallace, unearthed the audio of this earlier this year. No one, no one had ever heard it before, and it's exactly as good as your mind would always assume. Generally, about so yeah, just to recap, then Ferguson saying he's a fucking great player. Yous are all fucking idiots. Um, <laughs> Which I don't really have, I don't actually think James had the intended effect. I mean, it didn't change anybody's minds. If anything, I just think it made them more embedded in their views because it just felt like a, a desperate defence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was kind of in a period where Fergie was definitely up against it and that these decisions were being questioned in a way that maybe they hadn't been in previous years. And how long after that was it that they flogged him? I mean, how long was he it? He lasted two another years year. United? Okay. Yeah, so he did seasons. kind of stick it out for a second season. But I mean... I, I don't think history dictates that he was correct, at least in terms of how well he played for Manchester United. I mean, I don't. Well, really, also, was he good at Chelsea either? Really? No, not really. But what, but what crucially there, James, as well, is that he was still good often in the Champions League at this period, yeah. like against Deportivo in this season, just before he scored a really, really nice goal. I think it was a chip, and I think that burnishes his not sort of. Premier League ready credentials it was like clearly he was still a great player and when it was the right sort of pace of the game he could do it but he just he didn't seem to be able to do it at the higher more frenetic Premier League pace well let's definitely have Veron then alongside Perez what other names have you got for me well I was thinking when we've had we've had one two short centre back but I think this player was too small in a slightly different way Luka Modric yeah he was on who, my list. Uh, there was a lot of chat of him being too waif to play mm. right. in a busy central midfield in the Premier League online there's a lot of sort of suggestions that Arsene Wenger said 
he wasn't big enough, but there aren't actually any quotes. So I don't know whether that's a bit of an old wives' tale, but certainly people seem to be thinking at the time that that's what he thought. And he had his leg broken by Lee Bowyer. Yeah, so that was the start of the second Nine, season. Nine, ten season, yeah. yeah. And the kind of upshot of that was that he came back into the team. Gareth Bale had come into the team. Asa Okoto had gone to left-back. So Modric ended up having played on the left wing in the first season, then going back into central midfield, the position he's basically played for the 12 years since. Um, and clearly doing very well. You know, I, without being too flippant about it, I don't imagine growing up in Croatia in the late 80s, early 90s was like particularly easy. And mm. I don't imagine playing in the Croatian league as a young, small man. That's got nothing, going to, do to, Bosnia nothing to do with it. was particularly easy. So going to the Premier League and playing against like, you know... Lee Bowie. Lee Bowie <laughs> or whoever else, despite having his leg broken in that game. I don't imagine that was too daunting for him. Mm, fair enough. It could be wrong. But and I think as well because he came, he was thought of as this, whether rightly or wrongly, as a sort of flighty winger. The fact that he not only made it in the Premier League, but he did so as a central midfielder, yeah. did seem um, improbable. I mean, I've got a few. Other, these are different categories. I mean, you talked to him about people being too slow. Yeah. On, so one option there is Ivan Campo, who came over from winning the Champions League with Real Madrid, but was thought of as like, I mean, this guy. He sort of, you know, he's a bit of a stroller, just kind of ambles around the place, and ended up being part of that quite good. Yeah, very he seemed to quite enjoy himself. As far as I can yeah. Remember, yeah, and and I, and I seem to remember actually, he saw. It, I the reason I quite like him is it felt like him and the Premier League sort of they, they got to quite like yeah. each other by the end. Yeah, having initially it seemed like such a an, a bad fit. Sort of prototype and, David Luiz, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then on the flip side, there were players who were too quick. Um, too quick for the Premier yeah, League. I'll tell you <laughs> anything. I'll tell you I'm thinking of here. The Danish player. Ah, Dennis, I knew it was going to be bloody Dennis Romadal. Dennis Romadal, 11.9. Or was it 10.9? Maybe it was even 10.9 could run 100 metres. I've meters. seen a lot of differing I think times. It, I think it was 10.9. Yeah, it was either 10.9 or 11.2. Let's go with 10.9. And his uh, compatriot, Jesper Gronkier. Mm. And, they, and they were both these sort of rapid wingers who could maybe do it elsewhere. But you need a lot more guile and craft... In our league, Sonny, you can't just be quick. These are good left field shouts, actually. I'm quite intrigued by this idea of being... Uh, it'll be a tough sell if we ever publish this 11. People can point it and go, what? But I like the logic. James, can you do any advance on uh, Dennis Romadal? Yeah, uh, I would say arguably the best player to play in the Premier League. Maybe not on the basis of his Premier League performances, but in his career in general. Cristiano Ronaldo, in that first season at Manchester United as a 19-year-old, was just getting hammered for months and months and months of doing too many stepovers. With and right silly show, hair. By the way, it was insane the number of step overs he was doing it was ludicrous he, he was just being absolutely slaughtered on match of the day and in the papers for like standing up the fullback and then doing like sort of a dozen step overs and then like laying the ball back to Paul goals or whatever do you know what do you know what might clinch it for me here is that i think cristiano ronaldo might well be responsible or the genesis of the very first football meme or at least the very first football meme that i ever saw which was that kind of pen drawing in a gif of a player doing loads of stepovers and then just falling over. And it was really crude, but it, it, it did its job in sort of 2004. Should we just have it on that basis alone? Go on then. Seems like a good basis. Brilliant stuff. What a team this is so far. Hello, I'm Ian Irving, host of the Athletics Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils. Join me, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week, as we gear up to the huge Liverpool game at Old Trafford on Monday night. We'll preview that match, 
without paying any reference to our meeting with our rivals from last season, of course, and we'll also assess the latest twists and turns in Manchester United's roller coaster of a summer transfer window. You won't get better insight on United anywhere else, and as you'll find, you won't get better cocktails chat either. Just search for Talk of the Devils wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right then, time to finally look at our forward line. So many options here for fancy dans and soft touches and the rest. So where do we begin? Charlie, you've already made a spirited case for Rubinho so far. So yeah, if he's playing in that more advanced role. Yeah, I would I would have him in the forward line if if we did want him, certainly. Interesting debate to be had for this first one from Belly85, James. He says, Paolo Di Canio. All right, yes, he pushed a referee over, which you don't do in this country, but he also <laughs> caught the ball that time. So, mm, yeah. I it's a different, that's a real moral yeah. dilemma. Yeah, I don't. I just kind of think, and again, similar to um, to Rico, because he had come from Scotland, it kind of felt like yeah, it, the perception would have been that he had that kind of you know grounding in British football, British enough. culture. Yeah, exactly. So he'd kind of proven himself, probably at an even tougher proving ground that he was uh, he had what it took to play in the Premier League. Yeah, agreed. If you're going to be badly behaved to defy the Premier League moral standards, you have to do a lot worse. A lot more things than that, I think. I think, crucially, you're going to have to do it in a more sneaky way, whereas he was quite aggressive and hot-headed, which, yes, we'll probably get onto. There are some issues there, but that's a lot less frowned upon than if he was, say, a diver or was asking for players to be booked or something like that. Like mm. That's far more beyond the pale in our eyes. Other possible names. Brand says Alvaro Morata comes to mind immediately. Charlie, mm. kind of this kind of sort of, yeah, pretty... 
mm-hmm. pretty boy who just can't hack it because he he did look increasingly forlorn in the Premier League, yeah. which I think helps. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, because I always felt quite sad for him yeah. because people did seem to be really relishing his misfortune. Yeah, that's a good category. I mean, one that you raised, Adam, uh, you weren't sure of, but I think is is really good for bringing another element is Jurgen Klinsmann mm. because of the whole diving thing. That was a real like. Not in this league, not in our league. He can't dive. I don't think there's ever been a greater pre-debut moral panic over a foreign Premier League player than Jürgen Klinsmann. I can't think of anyone who's had that baggage come with them before they've even played a game. And and looking back now, Charlie, obviously it's almost cartoonish. And it is cartoonish, actually. But so we'll never see the likes of that again. But it's it's too strong to ignore, isn't it? Yeah, I th- so I think that's a really good one because I think that it's such a specific thing, and it's so specific to him. The fact that he did the celebration, and it's so offensive to our moral sensibilities. James, uh, here's a quote from Henry Winter in the Independent at the time. Back in 1994, Klinsman is intelligent enough to know that other club supporters will already be working on diving chants. It can only be a matter of time before he's big, he's blonde, he practices in the pond, is heard around Highbury. (laughs) (laughs) Only a matter of time. (laughs) Only a matter of time. Um, Still wasting. I mean, he did like head it off at the pass in his press conference, didn't Mm. he? Would you like to hear the clip? I'd love to. I've unearthed it. In England, a reputation preceded him as someone with a penchant for theatrical falls in the penalty area. At his first press conference, he diffused the issue superbly. Maybe I can, I can ask you a question. I just wanted to ask if there's any diving school in London. <laughs> they loved it, didn't they, James? They absolutely loved it. That is ice broken. That really speaks for the thing you've talked about before about how like low the bar is for jokes in press conferences because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is you know it's fine I mean you don't expect it in those circumstances but they lapped it. Up. It took a little bit of guts to be fair. He's, yeah, he's yeah. on the front foot there. Not many players would kind of do that. Say guys, guys, I just want to address. You know, obviously he did it with a joke, but he's basically fronting up to it, which is um, which is quite quite funny. And particularly back then, when I think, you know, if we're being honest, like the perception of German people in England, insanely, was still quite bad. You know, we saw the front page of the mirror before that Euro 96 game, which is two years after this. Pretty grim. So, yeah, that must have been pretty daunting for him, actually, to be in a room full of English journalists. I mean, generally speaking, the banter around Klinsmann at that time, Charlie, was really weird. People turned up, allegedly, to his debut against Sheffield Wednesday wearing scuba masks. Like, the, the <laughs> commitment. The commitment to this. Astonishes yeah. Oh, imagine. What's that for? <laughs> wearing that on the train. has been like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. It's so hot. But yeah. trust me, trust me, yeah. it's going to be great. Okay, so... A running theme of this team is kind of physical weakness and there's been a sprinkling of also kind of perceived moral weaknesses, unsporting behaviour. But we might need to go a little bit more extreme than that. George Reed writes in, there was a lot of cut that stuff out with El Had's Juf. Aside from being dreadful, the only Liverpool number nine to go a season without scoring, his general behaviour was not suitable for our shores. <laughs> That's a really good shout, actually, because I was saying before that generally it's the... Well, actually, maybe this does tie into that, you know, that people like Decanio are okay, but it, it, maybe he was seen as quite sneaky. I mean, there was spitting as well, which is always... Well, it's the ultimate sin in English. That's me. that's horrific, Did exactly. It's the worst thing you can do to a fellow pro. Mm. Yeah, it really is. Mm. Uh, he dived as well. I mean, he did... He kind of did a bit of everything. Yeah, no, that's that's a good... Um, that's a good. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else on a par with him. 
But that's a good. That is a good. Uh, that's a good show. Yeah, I feel like we do need a, a genuine bad boy in our front line. Well, I think as well there should be room for the hothead because mm. Nunez, which I think is a bit ridiculous. I was saying this yesterday that Nunez's red card feels more like a welcome to the welcome to Syria in the nineties or <laughs> welcome yeah. to La Liga with Godin or someone like that. It doesn't feel so our league. You know, I don't think. I think our league would be more. He kept getting kicked and he was going down asking the ref for more protection. That would be welcome to our league. But I think maybe someone like him or a Mitrovic. Mm. I feel like Mitrovic got sent off for like, you know, headbutt. You know, you can't react is a thing, isn't it? The uh, James, the welcome to the Premier League has had an absolute field day with Darwin Nunez after the Crystal Palace game. It, it really was manner from heaven for them. Yeah, but I mean, as Charlie says, I just, I just don't think it's applicable. I really, I just, it isn't, is it? I mean... It's an isolated incident. It could have happened anywhere, is basically what you're saying. But uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. I just don't think, you know, we've seen English players do similar things mm. for, for years and years and years. I mean, if it's the it kind been, of thing you would expect to happen in a, in, a, in a first division game in the 1980s or yeah, whatever. Yeah, if it had been a kind of Martin Keown figure and not Joachim Anderson, then maybe that would have helped. Maybe, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, yeah, yeah, like a guy who's in the Premier League for one year. And yeah. He, yeah need to be someone a bit more a bit more our league than that I agree but also I feel like Keown would be fouling him more it would be more the aggression than the yeah not quite provocation. as mm. so in our front line so far we've got a player who came with um, overblown baggage we have a we have a genuine bad boy who tore away at the moral fibre of the Premier League <laughs> Um, self-proclaimed and um, perhaps we we still need room for someone who was just perceived as weak and couldn't hack it how about this Ben Bagwell says Timo Werner for sure gets in for his post-match interview after his debut at Brighton. Although you were injured early on in the game, how did you find the game, the pace of it and the difference between your, what you're used to? Yeah, Premier League is uh, different football because I think um, uh, defenders, I don't, I never play against uh, free uh, defenders like this, so tall, so so much, uh, yeah, big, massive defenders. Just, just for the, the sheer starkness of the quote, James, just I've never played against defenders this big before. It's too, it's almost too good for my, oh my God, this is my first taste of Premier League. I mean, he's talking about Dan Byrne though, right? I think. <laughs> Does he count? I, well, I mean, I think it's fair enough if you're talking about someone the size of him. I think Byrne's a lot more imposing than people give him credit for. He's a big old guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Not just a beanpole. Well, can I, can I throw in another player with another reason? Possibly the cardinal sin of foreign players. Not learning the language. Oh. You know, if you look at someone like Carlos Tevez, I think there's a regular criticism of him. And I, and I think the reality of it really is like, don't want to do interviews, so don't bother talking to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Um, and Sergio Aguero as well, I think, yeah. is a thing that's often said of him that, you know, oh, he's, he's been here for eight, nine years and he doesn't speak a word I'd of English. I admire obviously, this. I admire ob- this. Obviously, he obviously, he spoke loads of English. Mm. Like Pochettino, you know, when he first went to Southampton because he didn't want to do, he didn't want to do press conferences. I think it's an underrated breath Fair of fresh enough. air, Charlie, Sergio Aguero refusing to speak English because one, easier life for him, plays football, gets to go away and enjoy his life. Other than that, for the rest of us, we don't have to hear stuff like, yeah, great to score today. Um, but the three points yeah. the most important thing. And I'm just looking forward to Watford away on, on Tuesday. It's subtle, subtle. That just didn't need to hear it. A breath of fresh air. A void we didn't need filling is essentially what I'm trying to say here. The, but that's a good subgenre that James raises because that definitely was a thing with Tevez. You know, we just don't know him. You know, it's, it's uh, as, as if we sort of have a Let right to. We own yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. And then we got to know Aguero in All or Nothing at his son's birthday party, and it was all—it was all quite bleak. I seem to remember. Mm, right, I, I'm not—I'm not entirely happy with Werner being our weakling in the front line. So we might have to take—we might have to change tack here, and maybe just to prove in some weird way that it isn't all about negative preconceptions. It's not about all about negative 
characteristics or perceived weaknesses. Maybe some players sometimes are deemed to be too good in one department. I bring to you West Ham's 19-year-old Portuguese starlet of the mid-1990s, Danny. And, do you know, I went looking for the infamous Harry Redknapp quote, which may or may not have taken place. I didn't find it, but I found the next best thing. What a weird little country we are. Now, if you've seen the papers this morning, they're all quite uh, uh, strong in the line that daughters have to be locked up. They call you the Portuguese playboy and all this sort of thing. What do you make of all that? No, if I, if I was a playboy, I would come here to, to play football. I would go to models or something. I'm here to play football. That's what I want to do. So that uh, Harry Redknapp has nothing to worry about in that case? No, no, no. Just absolutely baffling line of questioning. So, the follow-up uh, as well. <laughs> awful. I want to put Danny into our team just for being the standout candidate for being the only player ever to have been <laughs> essentially claimed to be too good-looking to play in the Premier League. Uh, how do you both feel about that? Too vacuous? Too empty? I'm trying to... Th- yeah, I know. I think that's fine. I'm trying to think. Wasn't Enrique de Lucas at Chelsea, wasn't he deemed sort of very, very handsome and that that, was, that might sort of affect how tough he was? Yeah, he had a bit of a kind of... Um, Sort of late nineties new metal look about him. I mean, I mean, like Giroud was deemed a bit of a pretty boy. Like mm. I, I think, I think it is a. It's enough of a theme that's run through the Premier League for Danny to be included. Yeah, I can see that. I Giroud think. probably conquered quite a lot of tags here. He's slow, good looking, mm. uh, but then of course scored goals and was tall, so that kind of doesn't. And he you know, spoke good English, so that didn't help. Fifty-fifty case for him. Well, Danny it is then. Let's go with that, just for the hell of it. Uh, let's run through our little team before we pick our manager. In goal, the surprise choice, Claudio Bravo, just edging out David De Gea, another disappointment for the Manchester United man. In defence, Lissandro Martinez, the diminutive Lissandro Martinez, Roque Jr. and Marcel Desailly. In midfield, Robert Pires, Juan Sebastian Verón, Cristiano Ronaldo and Luka Modric, I think we'll squeeze in too. Up front, Jurgen Klinsmann, El Hadjouf, and Danny. Well, what a great front line. <laughs> I think the front team. line's the real, the real crown of this, isn't it? Good variety up front. Yeah. So we want a manager for this rabble, as we so often do. Thought about Bob Bradley. Maybe I thought he was too obvious yeah. a case. Thought about Frank De Boer in a, in a footballing level. Just. I mean, Wenger has to be, surely. Yeah, Canada sure. Comes in from Japan. Should we hear the Japan clip? Go and get the Japan clip. It's <laughs> <laughs> straightforward. He's no experience of English football. He's come from Japan and he's into English football and he's now telling everybody in England how to, to organise their football. Unless you've been in a situation, unless you've had the experience of being in a situation we were, we were some years ago, playing four games in eight days, then I think you should keep his mouth shut. Firmly shut. <laughs> Japan. I love the shut, firmly shut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there is simply no other manager for this team than Arsene Wenger. Probably one of his best furious faces as well, uh, Ferguson there. Just absolutely seething. Great team. I think we've nailed the concept. We never have to do this again. Thanks to you, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you. And thanks to you, James Moore. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back with the adjudication panel next week. Cheers. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.